Morning. Good, uh, good to be back. Sorry I wasn't here uh, last week. I lost my voice and couldn't talk for about five days, so that was um, a blessing to my family. Uh, <laughs> no, it wasn't. Okay. Uh, kind of been a long time since we've done one service at a church, so it's uh, kind of fun to all be together, the half of us that are, that are together. Okay. Uh, before we get started this morning, I want to show you uh, a video in just a second of what our denomination, uh, Converge, has been doing in international church planning in the last a decade through what's called the Timothy Initiative. Uh, if you've never heard of the Timothy Initiative, um, they are really one of the most effective things to happen in missions uh, in a long time. Uh, in fact, take a look at this video. All my life I've heard with my ears. My fathers have told me about the great things God has done in ages past. I've heard about the mighty movements of the Holy Spirit. I've heard of masses coming to Christ. And though I rejoiced to hear it with my ears, my heart's desire was to be able to see it with my own eyes. Like the blind man in the Gospels, my prayer was, Lord, please open my eyes. I want to see. Well, God has answered that prayer and done so in an incredible way. With my own eyes, I've seen churches planted by the tens of thousands, reproducing like rabbits, springing up everywhere, in houses, caves, dried up riverbeds, under trees, in alleys, and on rooftops. With my own eyes, I've watched them, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, animists, gathered together, seated in little fellowships on the floor, worshiping the one who redeemed them, praising him with their lips, with tears in their eyes and joy on their faces with their hands held up in praise. I've seen them clutching their Bibles, holding them tight, even kissing them. I've watched as they prayed prayers that shook my soul. I've seen them set free, delivered from disease and demonic forces. I've seen people touched, changed, healed by the mighty name of Jesus. I've seen them bringing their families, their friends to Christ. I've seen them like a mighty army going from village to village, place to place, mountaintop to valley, preaching his name, leaving new churches behind. I've no longer just heard about it. I've seen it. I've seen first-generation believers who've given up everything to know him. I've seen persecuted brothers and sisters rejoicing to be counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I've seen wizards, idol worshipers, those in bondage to every conceivable vice set free. I've seen former Muslims not only worshiping Jesus, but making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. I've seen trafficked sex slaves now bringing other girls to Christ. I've seen orphans, widows, the least of the least being loved, fed, and cared for. And I can only say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that I not only get to see it, but praise your name. I get to be a small part of what you're doing. Hallelujah. Praise your holy, holy name. It's pretty cool. The uh, Timothy Initiative uh, is planting churches all over Asia and Africa uh, primarily. And what they do is they find people, so not necessarily pastors. These are people that are bivocational. It's not their full-time job. They find people who can just go out and start a church. And then each church planner, they train with pastoral skills and Bible skills. And then they have to, even before they start their church, they're finding another person, or maybe right after they start the church, who also can go plant a church, who finds somebody who can plant a church. And these churches often are just 15, 20, 
25 people, which we look at that and we go, oh, that's really small. But God is working exponentially through it. So through this strategy, the Timothy Initiative, over the last 10 years, has planted 60,000 international churches and have reached 1.2 million people for Christ in a decade. And they're pri- you can clap for that. That's good. Yeah. And they're primarily working in unreached countries uh, where the gospel really hasn't penetrated yet. And so I'm happy to announce, you know, one of the cool things about growth uh, in our church is that we just have more resources. We have more resources to give to church planning and more resources to give to international missions. And so we as a renovation church have committed financially to planting one international church every single month uh, through the Timothy Initiative. So they can actually plant a church in their model for just $333. Isn't that incredible? It takes us about 30 grand, by the way, to do that uh, domestically uh, as, a, as what we put into a church plant. So for $333, that's enough to find a bivocational pastor, take them to their training center, and train them to go out and start a church. And so we've committed for the next year, uh, perhaps more, to just start planting an international church uh, once a month. Honestly, it's hard for me to even think of a better way that we could spend our resources. And I think this is such a good fit for who we are as a church that just loves church planning and loves missions. And so we just want to continue to use what God has blessed us with to change the world. All right. Uh, this morning, as we get uh, back into the book of Luke, uh, we're going to talk this morning about self-denial. Now, this is a concept that I think most people get at like a really basic level, right? Like parents... You engage in self-denial for your children, right? You roll out of bed at 2 a.m. to feed a crying baby. You are denying yourself sleep, right? Because it's right, and it's the good thing to do. When you exercise, right, it's sort of like self-denial. What do you want to do? I really want to sit on the couch and eat a Snickers, right? But I'm going to deny what I want to do, and I'm going to go do this because I know that it's good for me. But I think it's when we move beyond where we can personally see the benefits of self-denial that it gets hard. Like, of course, I can serve my wife and wash the dishes if afterwards she's going to say, oh, you're so sweet. I can say, I am. Yes, I am. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, right? Okay, well, that, I mean, yes, it's denial, right? But uh, the benefits are right in front of me. But self-denial is quite difficult when you never actually get to see the results and so let's take a look at our passage today for this. So we, uh, if you want to pick up a Bible, there's one under your chair. Uh, we're going to be on page 841, or you can use the Renovation Church app. You just have Bible and weekly verses. <clears throat> Jesus, in our passage today in Luke 9, is going to take this concept of self-denial even a step further, and he's going to say, if you're not putting to death your selfish desires, you won't actually find life. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with church, but if you're not used to the teachings of Jesus, this one is going to mess with you a bit today. Because I think the teachings of Jesus are feeling increasingly upside down in our culture, even though I would say they are right side up. Okay, so we're going to start at verse 22 today. It says this, And he said, this is Jesus, The Son of Man, that's a title for Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. And he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. Then he said to them all, so now he's addressing the crowd, 
Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever's ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly, I tell you, some of you who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Now, we're actually going to tackle those last two verses in house groups this week. So get to a house group, sign up for a house group, and we're really going to concentrate on verses 22 to 25 this morning. This is not going to be an easy message today, but don't, don't look at me. I'm just reading Jesus' words. So, okay. Jesus starts by forewarning his disciples that he's going to be rejected by the authorities. He's going to be killed, but then raised to life. Now, we're going to move to the next verse, but don't lose sight of that because it's going to color all the rest of what we look at today. So I think we need to spend some time at verse 23. Let's look at it one more time, just that verse. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Okay, so he addresses the crowd, and he says, whoever wants to be my disciple. Now, contextually, he's addressing the crowd still at the feeding of the 5,000. That's a story we actually skipped over because we've taught on it before. But you can imagine Jesus saying, whoever wants to be my disciple, and you can, uh, my guess is that the crowd was going, oh, me, 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 right? Like, I want to be a disciple of this miracle worker. I want to be like on the inner circle. I want to be a disciple. And then he says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, as to deny your selfish desires, and take up their cross daily and follow me. And you can kind of just imagine everybody just putting their, <laughs> putting their hands down, right? Now, keep in mind, contextually, when they hear the word cross, they don't hear it like you do. Right? There's nothing redemptive about it. Like Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet. When they hear the word cross, they're just merely thinking of two pieces of wood that people are executed on. When they hear the cross, they're just thinking death. But Jesus is saying, come, follow me. Let's play follow the leader. Did you ever play follow the leader as a kid? What do you do? Right? One person kind of wanders around like this, and the rest of the people, they follow the leader. You do the same sort of thing. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple then you need to follow me. Then you need to do what I do. Except I think the problem is many American Christians say, yeah, I want to follow you, but I don't really mean follow you. I mean, like, I, you're, yes, you go and suffer, and then I'll just sort of reap the benefits and be happy. But Jesus is saying to be a follower of me is to follow me. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to do what he did, which means you need to pick up your cross. I've shared this with you before, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the 1930s famously said this about this verse. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. So what does this mean? Like, let's just try and get practical. What does it mean to deny yourself? The Bible uses this word a lot uh, called the flesh. Uh, the flesh is the selfish part of you. It's the part of you that just wants to lead you away from doing anything that resembles following Jesus. So let me give you a couple examples. Okay, let's say <coughs> you set your alarm uh, five minutes early because you're going to wake up and read your Bible. Maybe you're keeping up with a plan you're doing in house groups or something. And 
So you, you, you set your alarm. It's five minutes early. Your alarm goes off. And what does your flesh say to you? It goes, just five more minutes, five more minutes, right? But to deny yourself is to deny your flesh and to say, no, no, no. I'm going to get up. I'm going to trust God. Uh, by the way, the five more minutes thing always reminds me of my favorite sloth meme of all time. Uh, not that I have a ranking of sloth memes, but uh, <laughs> check this out. So the doctor says to the sloth, you were in a coma for two years. And the sloth says, just five more minutes. Uh, <laughs> I love sloths. Okay. Let me give you another example. When your flesh says, I'm so, okay, somebody hurts you. They do something at work or a friend. And your flesh says, I am so angry at that person. What do you want to do? Well, you want to sin, right? You want to gossip. You maybe want to slander them to another person. Some of you just want to speak out and rage against them. But to be a disciple of Jesus is to follow in his ways. It's to deny the flesh, say, no, no, no. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to surrender my will up to God, and I'm going to try his way. I'm going to try forgiveness. Uh, what about when your flesh says you're just sitting at home on your couch, and you're just scrolling through what's on, and you go, I want to watch. Maybe it's the latest show on Netflix, right? But you kind of know that it's like what feels like almost everything today. Like it's just another show that just glorifies violence and revenge and sex. And basically everything that Jesus is not, right? It would be denying yourself to not watch, right? You're denying yourself the fleshly pleasure of watching. Uh, you would be denying yourself the social benefits of maybe being able to talk about it with friends. It's like, who are we going to be? Are we going to be a disciple of Jesus? Or are we going to be a disciple of the culture? Which do you want? I think as we go through this passage, it's important to me that you don't think that this process of denying yourself only looks like selling all your worldly possessions and moving to the Middle East to be a missionary. I heard it explained uh, this way once, and I've, I've always felt like this is helpful. Denying yourself isn't so much like taking a $1,000 bill, which they legit used to make, and throwing it on the table and saying, all right, Lord, surrender all of me. Take it. It's yours. Denying yourself is much more like having a supply of 100,000 pennies. And every day, probably multiple times a day, you surrender one of them up to the Lord. Right? It's just in the little things. You're going to go home today, <clears throat> and you're going to feel like, I don't know, probably just vegging out, maybe looking at your phone or watching something. But it's just denying yourself. You know, I don't want to, but I'm going to get up and I'm going to finish the driveway for my family. I really just want to hang out and look at my phone or something, but I'm going to get up because my four-year-old is saying, or maybe your six-year-old is saying, Daddy, Mom, come play with me. You're like, ah. But you just deny yourself. Right? For others, you go, all right, let me get my superhero cape out. I'm going to do this, right? You deny yourself. And, and this is why, okay, what did Jesus say in verse 23? He said, you are to pick up your cross. What's the next word? Do you remember? Shout it out. Daily. I, I think following Jesus is much more about the pennies than it is the $1,000 bill. It's actually significantly harder to surrender and follow Jesus every day for 75 years than it is to just make one big splash on one day. But let me tell you the problem with this. My guess is that 
most of you here today aren't sitting here just rejoicing about this, like, oh, yes. Mm, speak on, David. Speak on. This is so good. This is so, I just, I am so excited. I would just end the service right now because I am so excited to get home and just suppress all of my selfish desires. Oh, man. Oh, yes. It'd be so good just to go home and deny myself. Let's do it. I think this sort of teaching doesn't inspire us. And let me tell you one of the reasons that it is especially unlikely to inspire us as modern-day Americans. It's because most of us have been led to believe the exact opposite of Jesus' teachings in Luke chapter 9. We've been taught that if you just follow your heart and you follow your desires, your desires are sort of meant to be like a compass to where to go in your life. If you just follow that, that's how you find your true identity, is how you find true life. Except that's not true. Let's get a bit philosophical for a second, because I, I, I want to take you off of that. Because you can't follow Jesus if you're still stuck on that way of thinking. Okay, where does following your desires truly bleed? Let's just play it out, right? Okay, what if you did this experiment? Don't really do this, but this would be insane. What if you said, for the next six months of your life, you would give in to your flesh 100% of the time? Like, what would happen? Right? So, anytime anyone asks you for help, what are you going to say? I'm saying, nope. <laughs> now, some of you would be like, oh, yeah, I would help. Well, good for you. I would not, right? <laughs> anytime you think something about someone, like, I can't believe it, you just say it, right? Because you're just giving in to your flesh. Anytime you don't feel like going to work, you don't go. Because you've got to give in to your flesh 100% of the time. Anything you feel like, anytime you feel like eating something, you eat it. Anytime you feel like watching something, you watch it. What if you did that for six months? Now, philosophically, we know, right, we can figure it out, that the indulgence of self doesn't actually lead to life. And, like, what if you got everything? Then what? Like, who wants everything for a blink of an eye and then hell for eternity? Right, that's why Jesus says in verse 25, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose their soul, lose their very life? You know, another way you can play this out philosophically to realize that the path of just pursuing selfishness doesn't actually lead to life is you can look at the celebrities and ultra-rich of the world because in a sense, some of them can actually play this out, right? They can give in to almost every selfish urge that they have. Now, most of us, we can't do that, right? Because you kind of know, like, yeah, I don't feel like going to work today, but if I don't go to work today, kind of not going to have a job, right? But they can kind of just do whatever they want. They can indulge in all of their desires. And so I just ask you, are they happy? No. They can't keep their marriages together, right? Because their marriage doesn't work. You're just giving in to yourself. They can't keep their families together, uh, they tend to lead every demographic in depression, often even in self-harm, in drug addiction. I read a, a fascinating study, uh, this was maybe three or four years ago, and it was about how the ultra-famous, think like uh, Michael Jackson, Elvis Presley, Whitney Houston, the ultra-famous almost always die early. Why? It's because they get to this point where they have all the fame, all the money, all the sex, 
everything that everybody always dreams of, and they're still not happy. Like us, we just keep falling for it, right? Because like, no, if I got there and I had that, then I would be happy. But they get it all, and they're still not happy. And rather than that being a tutor that leads them to Christ to go, oh, there must be something more, many of them instead just drown themselves in their sorrows, and many of them actually take their own life because the pursuit of life doesn't actually lead to life. And yet I still think that many of us, we just, we want one foot in each camp. Like, yeah, 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 I'll follow Jesus a little bit, but I still just want to give in to my desires because that's where I'm going to find life. We're just trapped by our culture. Like, our culture is getting some things. Like, I see popular, popular culture talking more about minimalism. You see this? I even see popular culture talking more about contentment. Those things are actually biblical. They're, they're good. But I think we are every bit as self-indulgent as we've ever been. We just <clears throat> kind of mask it with different terms. Every generation picks some sort of psychological term to help us feel better about our self-indulgence. Uh, in 2019, people love to call it self-care. Like, even though that's probably not what the phrase was created for. Uh, some of you have already had that phrase in your head this morning. You're going, oh, yeah, I could deny myself, but what about my self-care? Now, okay, settle. If you're like, I can't believe you just went after self-care. I just, I'm thinking about leaving right now. You just settle down, okay? <laughs> Jesus is all for rest, okay? He's all for the Sabbath. All for, he rested better than any of you. The problem is, most of American society is indulging itself to death and then just labeling it as an excuse, as, oh, I'm just doing my self-care. Let me explain. There was a, a Nielsen study that came out uh, maybe a year and a half ago that lays out the facts of self-indulgence like almost nothing I've ever seen. Now, I think about this study probably once a week. It was just foundational in my thinking. There are 168 hours in a week. And the Nielsen study pointed out that once you subtract all of the hours that we sleep, that you kind of get ready for the day, that you prepare meals, that you eat meals, and you work, you subtract out all those hours from 168 hours in the week, they found that the average person has 58 hours of free time a week. And here's what they found. The average American now spends 50 of those 58 hours of free time. That's in your evenings, your weekends, entertaining themselves. That means, according to Nielsen, that we spend 50 of our 58 hours of free time on our smartphones, our tablets, watching Netflix, Hulu, watching TV, playing games on an app, on a gaming cons console. 50 of 58 hours consuming information and entertainment. And we are indulging ourselves to death. Meanwhile, the people all around us are perishing. And they're walking towards hell. 
But we as a Christian people sit at home with our eyes glued and transfixed on our entertainment devices. I will tell you, these 50 hours of entertainment are absolutely killing what God wants to do through many of you. They're killing it because you've conditioned yourself to always give in to your flesh. I mean, think about how we do this in every free moment. I mean, you're even like, say you're at a restaurant with a friend, right? And your friend says, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. What do you do? Just think, oh, this would be a good time to pray. It would be a good time to just think with my thoughts. No, you just, before they even finish getting up, you go, whew, whew. Just give it, I got to entertain. I got to indulge. I got to get more information. You know, I, I uh, do my research and study for my message every week <clears throat> at a really holy place called Culver's. And, um, <laughs> One of the trends I've noticed, because I look out at people once in a while, and one of the trends that I've noticed, I see a lot of parents come there, like they take their kid, you know, their four-year-old or six-year-old out to lunch. And it used to just be like 30% of the people and then 50% of the people, and now I would say 75% of the parents that I see, they take their child out to lunch, and they sit in the booth across from them, and what do they do the whole time? They get out their phone, and they just go like this. And I watch, and it just crushes my heart. I watch, and their four-year-old, their six-year-old, just stares back at their eyes. Just screaming, like, Mommy, notice me. See me. And they don't, and they just keep scrolling. We just can't stop feeding our flesh and indulging. And so we're not available. I will tell you that God has so much that he wants to do with you, so much that he wants to do through you, but it is so deeply buried under our self-indulgence that most of us, we just don't even see it anymore. Seeking the self and feeding the self doesn't lead to life. So let's talk about Jesus' way, okay? Let's talk about how death leads to life. How, in fact, death is the only path to life. This is going to feel really counterintuitive. But let me remind you that this is only going to feel counterintuitive on this side of heaven. Okay, from the perspective of heaven, after you've had an incredibly brief life on earth, it's those who spent their lives living for themselves and not for Christ that will feel completely foolish and how they spent their time. Listen, in heaven, you aren't going to regret a single moment that you sacrificed, that you denied yourself for Christ. But of all the endless hours of self-indulgence, of 50 hours every single week, they will add up to what exactly when we're in heaven? I know that you know this. I just know that you do. Because God has already put it in your soul. Like when you, bin, you finish binging through another series, or you just totally give in to your flesh, maybe in lust for some of you, or maybe it's in rage, how do you feel when you just give in? How do you feel? You feel like this isn't life at all. 
Like, actually, what this is is like some sort of chocolate-covered poison that I fell for that isn't giving me the meaning that I'm looking for. And so if that's where you're, if, if that's where you're at, I would just say to you, can you trust Jesus? Because he's saying to you, if you deny yourself and you lose your life for him, you stop living for yourself, you start living for him, he says that you'll come alive. He says that the only death that only death leads to life, only denial of yourself, do you trust him? For those of you that are still unsure, you're hearing this like, oh, I kind of get it, but there's no way I'm just going to start living sold out, denying myself for Christ. I will tell you why you won't. I will tell you why you don't like this. You don't like it because you don't truly trust that God is better than your flesh. Pastor and author John Orberg says it this way. He says, I cannot surrender to God unless I trust he has my best interest at his heart. I can't do it otherwise. Jesus has a lot to say about death to self, but it is always the death of a lesser self, of a false self, so that a better and nobler self can come to life. It's always death to desires and behaviors that would end up killing me anyhow, so that I can come alive and thrive as the person God wants me to be. And let me tell you something. I don't want you to miss this. If you want to find life, you want to find your truest identity, you want to find what you were created for, then pick up your cross and start following Jesus. Okay, when God knit you in your mother's womb, he didn't create you by saying, oh, this child right here, this one. This child is going to find their deepest joy, their deepest meaning in life when they give into their flesh and give into every craving they have. That's going to give them life. No, no. You were created to die. To die to that part of yourself so that as you lay yourself down, God can flow through you. But he can only flow through you if you get out of the way first. And when he flows through you, it's 10 million times better than you just being you or whatever you want to call it. You know, one, of the, one of the many reasons that we have this uh, philosophy as a church that we'll sometimes say that our goal is that 100% of our people travel with us on an international missions trip at least once in their lifetime. It's because we want to expose you to what this feels like. Here's the thing about when you go on an international uh, a missions trip. You are forced, in a way, you just never will be in normal life, to put your selfishness to death, right? Because when you travel internationally, you don't sleep where you want to sleep, right? You don't eat what you want to eat, amen? Right? I know this, okay? <laughs> you d- and you spend your week not with 50 hours of entertaining yourself, but with 50 hours of serving God. And do you know what I see on the faces of our people when we go? For some of them, it's the thousandth time they've felt this, but for many of them, it's the very first time. 
I see a deeper type of joy than any self-indulgence could ever give them. Why? Because they're living for what they were created for. See, living by always just giving into your flesh, that's like a baby bird in a nest dreaming about walking someday. Oh, just imagine the bird going, well, someday I'm going to walk down this tree. And I'm going to feel the ground under my feet. And oh, the pleasure of just walking on the soil of the earth. But Christian, when you deny yourself, when you stop doing what's easy and you decide to do the counterintuitive, you decide to finally do what God has called you to do and you decide to jump from the nest. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah, sometimes it's just not going to seem right. But when you understand that Christ created you to fly, well, then you jump in faith. Right? And then what happens when you feel the power of flight? You begin to say like the Apostle Paul said after he had listed all of his worldly accomplishments in Philippians. He says this in chapter 3. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage. Walking on the ground is like garbage compared to flying that I may gain Christ. Do you trust him? If you don't trust Jesus, this concept of denying yourself death is going to sound like death. But if you trust him, then death sounds like life. And this is where we bring it back to where we started. All right, if there's any part of you that's still unsure, how did Jesus start this passage today? He said that he must first suffer and die and then be raised to life. And when he says that, the disciples are unsure about it. In fact, in Matthew and Mark, Peter even rebukes Jesus, which don't do that, uh, rebukes Jesus for saying that he was going to die. Because Peter is going, how can death lead to life? One of the crazy things about the Gospels is the thousands of people that were following Jesus in Luke chapter 9 are long gone by Luke chapter 23 when the authorities are getting ready to kill Jesus because they're thinking, how can death lead to life? As they arrest Jesus and they beat him and they march him through the streets with the cross on his back, even all of, almost all of his disciples flee at this point too because they think, how can death lead to life? And what does his death lead to? To life. To resurrection. His death leads to the greatest story of all, to life given. It's because of his death that you and I can have life everlasting. And see, that is the foundational principle of Christianity. And so let me ask you this. If the power and the kingdom of God comes through the cross, we can trust that it'll come the same way through us.
You want to experience real life. You want to see change in your life. You want to see a resurrection of your family, of your neighborhood. Well, then he's calling you to die. To come and die. So you may truly live. Let me pray. Lord, we, we come to you this morning in repentance. We tell you, we just want to tell you as a church that so often, God, we do not trust you. And we trust our flesh. And we trust that that will give us life. God, we are sorry. And we know that it doesn't. The pursuit of self just leads to death. God, may we as a church freshly and anew just trust in you that if we deny ourselves and we lay down our lives that then there's room for you to come through and God as we just worship now we just want to tell you with our hearts with our mouths that we are just so thankful for your love and we just want to trust in you anew it's in your name we pray amen